Welcome to the Community for Coaches podcast, where we help coaches intentionally and effectively use sports to transform lives. I've got Jason Holzer on the show today, and I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy it. Um, Jason is a writer, a public speaker, he's a coach, he has a, a wide range of experiences, and he has what I would say a very high uh, emotional EQ, you know, um, as far as being able to understand his players and understand people and motivate them in a way um, that's more internal versus external. He uh, understands how to build kind of true resilience in people because he's had to have um, build that resilience in his own life through some challenges he's been through, which we'll talk about. So really great episode. Um, I think you're going to really enjoy it. And just want to give a shout out for Jason for being super patient with me as um, we actually recorded this quite a few months ago and just some delays have kind of kept it on hold, but we're getting it out there and I'm really glad we are because it's truly an amazing um, interview that I think you're all going to really, really enjoy. Well, I am here with uh, Jason Holzer and he is a coach and a writer and uh, he's coming on the podcast today to, to talk about some some great stuff as it relates to sports, but also um, to kind of overcoming the trauma of suicide as well in his book. He writes about that. So we're going to talk about that a little, little bit later in this podcast. So uh, Jason, thanks for coming on. Hey, Alec, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me and uh, excited to be here today. Awesome. Well, I'm sure some people know who you are and maybe you've, maybe you've heard you, um, but some people haven't. So I would be great to hear a little bit about kind of your, your coaching uh, journey a little bit. How did you get into coaching? Because yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the listeners are, are coaches. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it starts with uh, what I love to do as a kid. And when I was, I love playing sports, you know, and uh, um, I grew up playing basketball, baseball. I loved watching playing backyard football, you know, all those kind of things. And even going to different sporting events like hockey and, and stuff that I never really played. Um, but then like all of us, you know, we, we didn't make the majors or we didn't make the pros. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, how can I still stay involved in sports? And I thought, you know, uh, coaching made a lot of sense. Um, and just to stay in, in the game of it and still, you know, make a significant impact on, on, uh, youth and, and, uh, you know, people involved Mm -hmm. in sports. Yeah. So right now you have a, a basketball program. Is that correct? Yeah, we, uh, I'm actually a uh, um, lead clinician for a group called Breakthrough Basketball, and we do basketball camps across the country. Uh, well, and, we, and we're, we'll still, we're still getting some camps in uh, even, even right now. Um, but, yeah, that's what I've been doing like the last three or four years. I coached high school basketball before that. Um, I've done a little bit of middle school as well with club basketball uh, with a local team in Kansas City called Mocan. Um, and even, I even did some urban youth baseball coaching, like for high school, okay. uh, for about five years. Yeah. So you kind of a little bit of a renaissance for youth sports, aren't you? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so growing up, um, playing sports, what would you say was maybe some of the important things that, that sports taught you growing up in your youth? You know, I think it's, uh, 
like you know, whenever I play baseball, baseball is you know if you if you are batting three hundred, which means you get to hit three out of ten times, you are very successful. So I think failure, like learning to be okay with failure, yeah, managing your emotions when things don't go your way, you know, I think are you know what does it mean like to be a graceful like if you lose, how do you lose with grace? How do you lose with yeah. you know tact and that kind of stuff? Because I was I was a sore I was. I was really a sore loser whenever I was a kid. I, I didn't, really? I hated losing. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and my dad never let me win whenever I was younger because, and that, and that was good in a lot of ways because it made me like ask myself, how much do I love playing? Because, you know, he kind of like pushed me to get better. And then as I got older, it got more competitive, but uh, he didn't let me win very much whenever I was younger, which was, you know, I think a good thing in a lot of ways because it showed me I wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, a lot of kids these days are sheltered from failure, maybe a little bit too much, um, you know, and they're not because their parents want their confidence to be high, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or, and, and kids too, they want their confidence to high. They want to shield themselves from that. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like and, that's, uh, that's not a, a luxury. Very many of us get to have just winning all the time without right. having to deal with, how to deal with a little stuff. adversity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and actually I think your confidence gets a little higher whenever you've, you know, you've lost a couple of times or, but you keep mm-hmm. going, you build that resilience. Yeah. And then when you do win, when you do come out on top, then you feel even more confident that, Hey, if I did this once, I can do it again. You know what I mean? Right. So it's actually like, you know, I, you don't want to lose that all the time, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. like for example, my first three years as a head coach, I, I started a basketball program at that same school, inner city school that I uh, coached baseball at. And we didn't win a game for three years, but yeah. my kids kept showing up. They kept coming. They kept trying. Some of them never played basketball in their life. So they were 15, mm-hmm. but we just, you know, we kept at it. And I remember my last year there, we had a lead at halftime and the kids were just stoked. I was like, Hey, this is great guys, but we still have the second half, you know, but they were just excited to have a lead, you know, but, that resilience, that determination, and gave them something to look forward to showed us that there's more than just what the scoreboard or what's on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's something that's important that you want to teach your players, like as a coach, like what's something important you want to pass on to them, you know, or um, obviously resilience, that's a big theme for you is I think, resilience. I think uh, things. Empathy and compassion, I think, are big things. Okay. Like seeing other people's perspective on things and not not being so quick to judge, I feel like, is a big thing. Because we are very quick to see things from our perspective, which is natural. Mm-hmm. But having the awareness to see another person's perspective and maybe ask yourself, like, what's happening in that person's life that's causing them to act this way? Now, that doesn't yeah. mean, like, you should, you know, you know, allow them to treat you however they want to treat you. Or I, mean, I definitely think you need to have your – your fortitude, your, yeah. your, um, you know, love of yourself. But I also think a little bit of empathy and compassion can go a long way. Um, and even seeing other people's perspective on, you know, maybe why people act the way that they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, the world is really unpredictable. If you can't, if you're not learning how to put yourself in other people's shoes, you're not understanding other people the world, it leads to even more fear and more confusion if you don't have empathy because you're not, mm-hmm. you're not understanding what's going on or why things are happening the way they're happening. But I think when you understand it, 
because you have empathy, it's not as scary because it's predictable now. You sort of, you can relate with it, you know, and, and that's yeah. super important and for leadership and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes whenever people like realize that you care about them, the things that you maybe would have taken offense to, or the things that maybe I caught you off guard, you realize like, Oh, Hey, you know, I didn't realize you were going through this or that. And, right. You know, I, I, uh, and then you end up actually building connections and friendships because of your empathy, because of your compassion. Um, you know, and people end up, you know, being more thankful and apologetic and actually you build stronger bonds with, with, with people. And because of being authentic, being, being genuine, you know, I think that's, uh, that's huge for kids. The long, the younger that kids can learn that the better off it's going to pay for them as adults. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that's so difficult for people to develop that? Like, why do you think that's what's blocking? Well, I think, well, by nature, I think survival is our, okay. What we're, you know, so I mean, wired for your, yeah. As, as, you know, if you look at little kids, like, you know, two, three years old, if somebody takes their toy, like they're figuring out how do I get it back? You know, or if right. somebody like, you know, they're, they're simply trying, they're, they're me centric, you know, that's, but that's kind of how we as humans are, are built initially. You know, we're very, um, what's the word, uh, prime, uh, like primates, you know, something yeah. like, you know, very, mm -hmm. we haven't, our, our, our conscious mind hasn't developed enough yet to, to see perspective yet. And so, mm -hmm. um, and so, well, you know, it, it depends on who you're around. You know, if you're around more people, your environment, if you're around more people that see like how to be helpful, that they have a great example of that, then they naturally tend to be that. But if you're around people that are always trying to get mine, then that's kind of who you're going to become like as well. So it's, you know, your environment is, is huge on, you know, who you end up becoming as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think also just kind of as you're talking, I was thinking, you know, the, the older you get for those people that do go through hard times or have difficult things and then come through it, they're less likely to panic when something bad happens because it's like mm -hmm. they've been there through it. They've been, they've been through this process before and they've come out on the other end. Okay. But when they haven't sure. been, they, it's the fear of the unknown of maybe my whole life will crumble if this, if this bad thing happens, you know, yeah. versus, yeah. And, and that's part of your, you know, your mind's job is survival. And so that's where fear comes in. Like, you know, oh, I, I don't know how this is going to go. You should stay safe. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. what, like, it's like the, the warning signal going off right. in your head, you know. Um, and so for me, you know, going through COVID right now hasn't really been like what you just mentioned about, you know, going through something before. Because I lost, you know, I lost my dad to suicide when I was 17. Yeah. That's also part of my story. So going through COVID right now, I've always feel like I've been in a similar space. As I look around, my family's healthy. Everybody's here. I can still see my family, the people that are the most important mm -hmm. to me. So for me, it's like, okay, I, I see what this is. I see how this is affecting a lot of people. But I also see that, you know, uh, there's an opportunity for me to spend more time with my family. Like I, I looked at what's the, what is being presented to me? What's opening, what doors are opening up because right. other things are closing? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. I don't want to sound like it's opportunistic because that, that, that's not like the right word necessarily, but that's like taking what life gives you, almost like making, making lemonade out of the lemons you have. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. 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 Do you have um, sort of as you uh, think about your coaching, do you have like a kind of a, a concise or, or sort of statement that you've 
put together as far as like why you coach or what's important to you. And if you were to simplify it into kind of a simple statement. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, um, we before me, I think is a very yeah. simple one, mm-hmm. you know, because whenever you think of how other people benefit because of what you do, then you, then you in turn will eventually benefit as well. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think we before me, like and that goes to like, you know, playing your role, um, whatever it may be at the time to the best of your ability. You know, I think a great example of that, uh, on the court would be Dennis Rodman and what he did like in the last dance, you know, he fulfilled a role. He wasn't a scorer. He wasn't a, you know, prolific offensive guy, but he was the yeah. tough guy that, that got the, the rebounds. He did the mm-hmm. guard, the tough guy, you know, he, he did the other things that, and he, and he got really good at other things that people didn't want to do, which made him extremely valuable, you know? Yeah. Um, and a lot of times we want to be the, the best shooter or we want to be the best, you know, ball handler or the best passer or the dunker or whatever. Um, and when everybody yeah. wants to do that, you know, you kind of, there's a lot more competition. So I think for sure finding what people don't want to do and becoming a specialist at those actually might put you ahead in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Something I've talked about with my players is this idea of basically you have value that is unshakable as a human being. And you're valuable to us on the team because you're a person and we care about you. But on this other side, it's important that you learn how to be useful to the team. Like, so you're valuable, unshakable, unshakable value, but it's important for you to learn how to be useful, how to be helpful to the team in order for um, really for you to maximize, you know, your enjoyment and your impact on the team, you know. But I think that can be a little bit of a tricky thing because sometimes if you're encouraging people, Hey, you need to learn to be useful. They might feel like their value is based in being useful, you know, versus their value is based on being a person. Do you have any thoughts on kind of, you know, helping people gain confidence in that they have value, but the importance of like serving others and finding purpose, maybe. I think it goes back to an identity shift, which I mean by that is a lot of people think that, uh, an athlete is who they are, mm-hmm. but the reality of it is like sports is what you do, right? And who you are as a human first that plays sports, that 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 does athletics, um, and a lot of times I feel like we see ourselves as athletes who are human beings. Does that makes sense. Yes, you know. Yeah. So I think it's if we can if we can show kids an identity shift that you are a person that goes and plays, then. Um, you know, I think it's easier to, for them to maybe take on those roles because I'm not attached to being a specific position. Right. I'm not attached to, you know, I've always done this. And so this is how I always, this is what I'm mm-hmm. always going to do because this is who I am. I know like you could, what if, you know, you actually are better at wherever your coach maybe pivots you at and not getting stuck in what you've always done. Sure. You know, so I think yeah. a little bit of, of that would be, right. would be key. And I think that relates to life too, in the sense of like, um, there are jobs that we need done in our society that are not um, considered as, um, I don't know, maybe high status jobs, but they absolutely mm-hmm. have to get it. They have to be done. And if everyone in our society has wrapped up their identity in what they do, then they're only going to want to do these jobs that are, you know, look cool. You know what I mean? Rather, we yeah. need to do jobs that sometimes 
you need to just get these things done and and that's not who you are but man you can make a big difference if you help out by doing this you know what i mean sure. and some yeah. people and ways that that man's like use your gift to serve your identity shouldn't be there but man it's really helpful if you could do that you know um, yeah and i got i always tell like like you know athletes that need a gym or whatever like you should be best friends with the janitor, quite frankly, mm -hmm. because the janitor's got the keys. And if you build a great relationship with the janitors, the people that keep your locker rooms clean, the people that keep the floors clean, you know, make sure you have a basket in there. Uh, and when you want to get an extra workout in, or maybe you want to go to school a little bit early, and again, this is all pre-COVID stuff, mm -hmm. but, you know, if you have a great relationship with them, you know, then more than likely they're going to be more apt to help you you know, yeah. get those mm -hmm. extra times that you were trying to look for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and people overlook, you know, our, our, our people of service that are doing the things that, you know, behind the scenes that we don't realize are happening. Mm -hmm. um, so acknowledging them and thanking them go, can go a long way. Right. Yeah, totally. Like Dennis Rodman, he was fine doing it because, you know, I think they were appreciative of him and he knew that they yeah. were, I think that helped. You know, yeah. I mean, so. he had his own things going on. I mean, he was he was definitely a character, but I mean, yeah. when it came down, <laughs> when it came down to game time, he was focused. He was ready right. to go. You know, he got he, it done. He he got it done. Yeah, you know, totally, um, totally. But, uh, yeah. Well, let's let's go into your into your book. Um, so it's it's titled "Shattered by Suicide, Renewed by Resilience: How to Move Forward After Being Left Behind." So mm -hmm. tell us tell us a little more details about kind of the story and then we'll get into some of the the impact it's had on your life yeah uh it's my story so i lost my dad to suicide whenever i was 17 um uh, it was at the end of my junior year of high school um and then so you know i had my senior year and then going into college and you know it really like affected who i my identity and who i was and it affected mm -hmm. you know my confidence i was i overthought things constantly i was indecisive a lot of ways because i was wasn't sure like why something like that would happen i wasn't sure right you know whenever whenever somebody takes their own life you can't ask them like you know what why, why? would you want to do that mm -hmm. yeah you know and yeah. and there wasn't anything that would explain like he didn't leave like a goodbye note or you know there was no any really? clues or inclination that you know not that really we found ever nothing yeah, nothing yeah so wow. you know one day he's here the next day he's not and as a 17 year old you really start to value the example of your father as a, as a male as in and what does adulthood look like you know that kind of thing like mm -hmm. even asking them more for guidance on a lot of things and now that person that i looked up to was now gone you know so i was like hmm, how do i sift through this becoming 18 what is it, what does it mean to be an adult you know um yeah because my dad had a lot of great qualities he was funny he was you know uh reliable you know, he was a community guy he was very helpful uh he was well liked too you know i mean mm. with people you know so it wasn't like it was uh i came from a dysfunctional family or anything like that i came from a great family like my mom and wow. dad were together for over 20 years you know so it's i think what people need to realize is that it can happen to anybody um it, it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't like happen more to a certain group of people or or that i mean I think my story is an example, like just because everything seems great on the outside, 
you know, we really need to do a better job of checking in with people authentically and yeah. really asking them like, Hey, what's going on? Like, how's things going? Or observe behaviors more, like be more observant, you know, I think is, uh, is what I've learned through this whole process. Hmm. Yeah. So man, that's, that's a really, that's really hard. You know, um, I think it almost makes it more shocking that it wasn't at all something you could see coming. You know, it wasn't like you've been depressed or something for a long time. And, and it was in some ways you're just, you know, sometimes it happens more that way. Like people sort of know dad's in a bad place. They're trying to work with them, but they didn't, they just didn't realize it was that bad. You know, yeah, a little bit different. Yeah. I think, you know, from my 17 perspective, I had a job. Uh, I was going to school mm-hmm. and a lot of things like, you know, whenever you're, I don't know about you, but whenever I was 17, I wasn't most, the most observant person. I was kind of oblivious in my own little world, yeah. you know, my group of friends, like that kind sure. of thing, you know? So there could have been, you know, I mean, I admit there could have been signs, but I, yeah. I didn't have the awareness to look for them because it yeah. wasn't really a thing, you know, like it wasn't heard of. I suicide, you know, was I knew about it, but it wasn't something that, you know, was, you know, so I, mainstream yeah. to talk about or when it happened, it really, it surprised everybody. Like it was like, he was the last person you would have thought that would have happened to. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think there's been a shift to talk about it more in our society? Because it's getting worse. Okay. So it's I mean, the staff I think, going up. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is, especially now, you know, the, the trend is, especially in young people, um, you know, with the digital era and there's so many good things about technology, but you know, we don't, we don't connect as well as what we used to like the human connection is different. Um, and it's, it's not as much personalized. It's kind of all through like secondary messaging or through, you know, uh, little videos here and there. Like we don't get in a room and we don't converse authentically like we used to share stories, you know, that kind of thing. Like really connect people as much as what we used to. Um, and again, I think there's a lot of great things that have come from technology, but it's just like anything else when it's used in the right place, it can really benefit people. But whenever it's overused or, or whenever it's used in the wrong place, like with cyberbullying and that kind of thing, then it can, you know, that means like a kid that's being cyberbullied can never really get away from it. You know, it could be, if they have a phone and there's somebody like that's doing mean things to them, they could keep sending themselves all the time, you know? Um, so it's again, yeah. it's like trying to get ahead of that and 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 building kids' confidence, um, and helping them understand that life's a, you know, a bunch of phases, and sometimes you just gotta get through a phase, tough mm-hmm. it out, you know, talk to people, ask questions, you know. Sometimes if you have a tough day, just crying it out, you know, as well. You'd be okay with like, you no, know, that sometimes that's the best thing you can do is just let it all out, and yeah. it helps you move forward, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think, so you think the rise has to do with, with of suicide and depression has to do with technology affecting how human relationships are, are forming and developing to some extent or are there other factors? I think some extent, I think because, you know, with, with, with us being on our phones a lot more, I think there's more distractions and people are less observant too, you know, because okay. we can get caught up in, you know, what's going on in, like right in front of our screen, but there could be somebody that could, you know, really use a hug or really just like, Hey, how you doing thing? But we are, okay. you know, distracted. And I don't, I mean, again, that's just a observation. I don't know how 
true it is, but that's just kind of what I've seen. You know, I haven't mm-hmm. done any like significant research or studies, but sure. it just seems like, you know, that's kind of the trend and the correlation with technology and the correlation with more kids having phones at a younger age and never really being taught how to use them and the purpose of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's another thing is like training, training our younger people, like how to use it effectively. Yeah. How to benefit from it as opposed to just giving them, Oh, here's a phone. Yeah. Here you go. You know it's what I mean? one of the most, I would say a phone is maybe, maybe one of the most powerful tools human beings have had. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have more, you have more information at your fingertips right now than what Bill Clinton did in 1996 as the president of the United States. Think about that for a second. And so now you give that, give that power to every single under like kid that hasn't fully developed their um, habits their mindset, like that kind of stuff. Then they're looking up who knows what they're looking up, you know, yeah. who knows what they're getting involved in, who knows who they're, you know, now there's mm-hmm. it's been better because there's been restrictions on that and parents can have a yeah. better hold on that. Yeah, but you know, still, I mean, you can't control everything that kids are doing whenever they're not around right. you. Um, you know, we're still learning, think, still learning how to sure. use it, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so in a lot of ways. Yeah, and so I think it's important to, you know, have that conversation with with kids. And I think we as coaches can do a great job of that. Of like, watch what you put on social media. You know, think about you know, pause before you post, kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. ask yourself what what are the consequences. Of, of me doing this you know am i venting do i need it am i ranting about something am i sure i want to do this because this also falls back on who i am as a person and we don't realize that you know, a lot of times yeah yeah i think i i i've tried to basically follow on social media if i wouldn't say this in person to someone or to a group in person probably not going to post it online if i wouldn't say it to a right. group you know because I am saying it to a big group of people, you know? Uh-huh. Um, yep. So yeah, it's tough though. Um, what would you say, you know, for coaches as we're, we're wanting to guide players through, through their journey in their youth, maybe as it relates to social media or being more aware ourselves or helping them be more aware. Do you have any mm-hmm. tips there? Um, build relationships first. I think before yeah. you get to the X's and O's and the scoreboard and that kind of stuff, you know, your players need to know you care before they care about what you're trying to get them to do. You know, whether it's an execution standpoint, like that kind of stuff. So any kind of, for me, if I'm starting this now, I think my first practice would be, you know, simply just getting to know them. Simply just like, who are you as a person? Who, what are your interests beyond the sport that you're playing? You know, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Really get like, what's your family life like? What are you? What's your favorite food? You know, this that kind of stuff where you get to know them for who they are, not necessarily what they can do for you on mm-hmm. the court, on the field, or right. you name it, you know. Because because you want to create that separation between valuing them as a person and then helping them find their role on the team to be useful and to, to, yeah. to be a we so, versus me person. They need to first be like, hey, you have value as a human being. I care about you. Now mm-hmm. you're free to to not find your identity in your role on the team anymore. But yeah, you know, we as coaches too tend to have an agenda like, Oh, the first practice we're going to get this done. We're going to get this done. We're going to have mm-hmm. our offense going. Our defense is going to be set. And we almost use them as like chess puzzle, uh, chess sure. pieces, you know, kind of shifting and moving around. Yeah. But the reality of it is they're, they're, they're humans first or they're people first. And I think 
when you want to have a conversation about a kid about maybe changing his role, they might be more open to hearing it if you've done that background work, if you build that relationship with them first. Yeah. And then like, okay, I think coach has my best interest, not just what's going to get him more wins. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's when, when you come with a place as a coach of, you know, this is what I think is going to be best for you and for the team. Then I think it, it gets received better. Now, not right. always. I mean, sometimes it takes some convincing, not all the time. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. like a, hundred percent, you know, foolproof formula, but I definitely think it, it goes a lot further than, you know, the opposite way. Well, I mean, if, if you think about it, if their value is based on their role on the team and the kids that have more important roles, cause that inevitably does happen. Certain players mm-hmm. do play quote to some extent, more important roles that maybe score more points. Cause you feed them in the ball in certain positions or whatever. Yeah if their identity is based in that and their value is based in that, then it's natural for them to, to believe they're valuable and believe they should have the most important role because they Mm -hmm. should believe I'm really valuable. And so I should get the most valuable role. And, but that's not really possible (laughs) and it's not necessary for them to be valuable, have the best role to be valuable, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I'll do what's called like hustle points. Like, you know, Hey, you know, you took that charge or you dove for that loose ball uh-huh. or, you know, the things that tend to maybe get overlooked as opposed yeah. to the three point shot at the wind that, that quote unquote won the game. Like, well, yeah. let's, let's, let's uh, reflect back. If uh, we would have got that defensive rebound or if we want to dove on the floor for that extra possession where we have gotten to that, like that was mm-hmm. the, this is the buildup to even get that opportunity. Right. But what's focused on is like the last second shot. They, like a lot of what's, what's missed beforehand. Uh-huh. of how to even get to that point and to be even in that position. So you call that hustle points? Hustle points. Yeah. Like, okay, you know, and wh- how do you, how do you do that? Like at, at the break, you kind of say, Hey, what were the hustle? Or like points, or end you... of game okay. like beforehand, like kind of like getting them like, uh, Hey, think about what can I do to, to go the extra mile for our team. And so like, you know, mm-hmm. dive on the floor at the loose ball, get the extra rebound block out the little fundamentals. And then, so, you know, either myself as an assistant or, if I was, you know, a head coach or whatever, I'd have somebody, hey, like, can you, like, just kind of be observant and maybe give, like, little check marks and then put the name by it. And so, yeah. you know, I think that – because then you start acknowledging people um, for their effort, not necessarily their skills. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps people feel value too because you see them for, for how hard they're trying, not necessarily for how skilled they are or how talented they are. You, you acknowledge the effort first. Mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely um yeah it's good good tips so as we as we think about kind of um you know how how your story you know with your dad has impacted you impacted your coaching impacted your life can you talk a little more about kind of resilience and what that looks like and and yeah you know, how important yeah you know in um uh, resilience I see as, you know, seeking a positive outcome regardless of external circumstances. Okay. Know? And what I mean by positive outcome, I don't necessarily mean like every day is going to be, you know, puppies and ice cream or, you know, everything's going to go smoothly and happy and blissful. And, you know, you, you might have to go through some things, but you see the positive that can come from having to go through a situation, which might mean you, you might have a sad day. You might, you know, be going through some tough things, but, acknowledging that everything 
if you can have the mindset of everything works in my favor, whether I want to do something or whether I like doing something, I know this will work in my favor. It kind of gives you a different perspective and it's a quick mental shift of, okay, mm-hmm. all right, I don't, I don't like this or I don't want to write this paper. Or I don't want to, you know, do that extra. Uh, I don't want to shoot those extra 25 shots or, um, you know, whatever, whatever skill or thing you might ha- have in front of you. Uh, having that resentment of knowing that if I do end up doing this, I'm going to really like the outcome. So using your willpower to push through or figure out what you need to do to be what quality you need to develop to eventually be in a good spot. Mm -hmm. I think it's what I see as resilience. Yeah. Can you say that one more time? That definition sounded really good. Seeking a positive, seeking a positive or believing that a positive outcome will happen regardless of the external circumstances. Yeah. So, like, you know, so no matter what's going on around you, things are going to happen in your favor, even if on the surface it looks like, well, how in the world can this be a positive? Like, it mm-hmm. took me 17 years later to see what happened with my dad and flip that into a positive. So, it might, it's not wow. necessarily going to happen overnight, per se. You know, so that's like half, half my lifetime ago. I'm 35 now, you know, I was 17 mm-hmm. when it happened. You know, so it, sometimes it takes you a long, it, you know, it, it could take years sometimes to, but that belief of something could eventually happen, that law of expectancy, like you expect mm-hmm. positive things to happen in your life. Eventually it will, it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. If you stick, you, but you got to stick with it. You got to persevere. You got to build that resiliency muscle. It's just like a, any kind of, you know, physical muscle you build. Resiliency is a skill. Mm-hmm. It's a muscle that you build. The more you build it, the more resilient you come, mm-hmm. the more things tend to work out in your favor over time. Right. Yeah. I remember when I tore my ACL after my senior year of college and I was kind of looking at different opportunities to try to continue to play. And that kind of closed the doors, you know, to, to continue to try to play. And, and obviously at the moment I was like kind of frustrated with God, but now it was like, you know what, God just made it really clear what I needed to do. You know, he didn't give me the option to, in a sense, make a mistake because he basically closed the other door for me so that I just had to take the door that was the other door that was opening, you know, Open, and, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's led to, you know, everything I'm doing in my life now and that I'm happy I'm doing, really happy I'm doing. So, yeah, yeah but obviously that's, a, that's an interesting one too to just realize like, yeah, sometimes the things you really don't want to happen just close the door and and force you to go another way and that way you don't realize that that way is is the best way you yeah. know until and then it. my thing is like asking the question of like okay this door is closing what door is opening you know because we always tend to focus on uh oh man like this thing uh, okay well mm-hmm. opposite of that is okay so what is what's what what opportunity what uh you know insight is opening now that I maybe should flip my sight and flip my perception on it and maybe explore that, you know, because mm-hmm. um, everything closes for everything that closes, something opens, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just being able to see that, having the awareness of that. Um, yeah, for sure. What would be for someone who is thinking about reading your book, what are maybe some, some key things that they could expect to potentially learn from from going through your book? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, valuing your life, valuing that people care about you um, and family. And then also 
um, how to, you know, I talk about also how to, you know, find your new normal and the things that I did to build that resilience, to learn to love who I was. You know, I talked about those kind of things. If you are going through a hard time right now, the things that you can do to get yourself through that and, and find, um, you know, joy and find the things that, that build happiness um, internally after mm-hmm. going through a tough situation. Right. Yeah. We've, we sometimes ask coaches, you know, the difference between, you know, or what makes somebody a transformational coach or how do you, mm-hmm. how do you have transformational relationships versus maybe transactional relationships? What are your, what are your thoughts there? I think it goes back to authenticity and care about kids whenever they can no longer, you know, provide something for you. Like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. your shooter got, maybe your top player got injured or maybe, you know, they moved away or whatever. Yeah. Like, are you still checking in on them? Are you still yeah. caring about them? Um, are you still, you know, like involved in some way? And you can't be yeah. involved with every athlete you coach. I mean, but even if it's like a follow on, you know, social media and like, you know, like liking their stuff or, you know, mm-hmm. like just some kind of acknowledgement and you're going to have, great relationships with some some players as opposed to others but i think transformationally i think you uh you meet every player uh with the same genuineness the same caring you know feeling that they walk away from me like you know what coach really does care about me you know or mm-hmm. like 10 years down the road like man he was he was he or she was a great person to play for because i knew i was cared about mm-hmm. i think that's how you how yeah. you build transformation you know because what does that but what does that really actually, how does that free someone or what does that do for someone that allows them to, for it to be transformational? Do you think? It doesn't make them feel like they are tied to what they can, their skill set or what, uh-huh. you know, what role they can play. It makes them, like when we go back to earlier in this episode, it makes them feel cared about, valued as a person. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that's where. So then they're able to kind of transform how they serve and what they do and evolve and grow because mm-hmm. they have a solid foundation. Yep. And, and, and pivot. Yep. And whatever they do, they, they have that experience of like, okay, this is what I learned as a role player playing for so-and-so. How can I take this and apply this to my life now? You know, so, mm-hmm. so taking those um, things that 10, 15 years down the road, they can still apply them to their life based off what you taught them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, where, where can people, uh, connect with you? Where can people yeah. get your book? Uh, my book's on, uh, audible. It's on Amazon, uh, ebook and uh paperback book is all on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, you know, all the social media platforms as well. And you know, I'm, I always try to be responsive within 24 to 48 hours. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, those are the places you can, you can connect with me on. I can put, um, kind of your Twitter and your LinkedIn. I can link that in the yeah. description so people can find that and, and for awesome. Thanks. Well. So, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Well, awesome. thanks for having me on today, Alec. It's been yeah. a great conversation. Totally. We appreciate, appreciate it. it. Some really great insight and yeah, it's amazing. Amazing story. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed the show today. Check out the show notes to learn more about Jason. And if you want to learn more about our mission at Community for Coaches or how to coach with purpose, you can check out our website, which is communityforcoaches.org. I would also highly recommend looking into our workbooks. 
these workbooks are really great for a small group of coaches to meet weekly and go through these lessons. Um, and CFC would love to come alongside you and even potentially lead one of your groups um, if you can get a small group of coaches together kind of in your community. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us next time on the CFC Podcast where we help coaches intentionally and effectively use sports to transform lives.